coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. <sighs> Made it. Hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Really? All right, all right. Well, hey, uh, like Pastor Kurt said, we are in the middle of a series. This is actually week three. And the series is called Next Steps. And I don't know if you know this or not, but um, the Christian life can be a little bit confusing from time to time. Anyone ever been confused in their relationship with Jesus? Just anyone. Nervous laughter, no hand raises. I'm going to assume that's a yes. So what we decided to do is we wanted to help create a very clear and specific roadmap. Now, we didn't boil down all the teachings of the Bible into five things. That's ridiculous. But what we did try to say is, okay, if our church, if we are about these five things, man, our impact in the world is going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. And so what we tried to do is say, okay, what are the five things that we want everyone to do in our church? And we boiled it down. So this is week three. The first week was baptism. Week two was, well, Jesus called us servants. And he said, that's the greatest thing we could do. So, okay, we're going to serve people. And before we talk about today's topic, I want to actually address a question. And I think it's one of these questions that everyone asks somewhere along the journey and their relationship with Jesus. And, And here's the question. We'll put it up on the screen. iPhone requests sound share to your TV. I don't want to accept it. I don't know how to get rid of that. It's not mine. Can we just pretend like it's not there? Tech guys will figure it out. They're brilliant. So here's the question. What do I do after I believe? Isn't that such a good question? What do I do after, after I believe? Because so far, it's, man, we're, we're trying everything to get people to believe, to put their faith, their hope, their trust into Jesus Christ. And we put so much effort and we pray for people. We come alongside people. We try to a- answer all of their questions. We try to lead them down this journey. And we want them to step over the line, to pray the prayer, however you want to define it. But ultimately, we're after people relinquishing control of their life and placing it in the hands of Jesus. And saying, you are king of kings and lord of lords, I am not. And there's so much effort and emphasis put on that, that sometimes we're unclear of what we're supposed to do after we believe. Now, I don't know if this is your story, but it's my story growing up. It's like, okay, you believed. And then really it comes down to about three options I want to share them with you. And all of them are a little bit um, dissatisfying. The first one is this. You can simply wait around for Jesus to come back. been a while. (laughs) Um, And I realized growing up and studying the the scriptures, when you're waiting on the Lord, you're not actually waiting. You are living as if he's coming back immediately. That's what it means to wait upon the Lord. The other option is simply try to be a good person. That's exhausting. I find it's a lot like diet and exercise. Like I'm good for a season and then, and then winter hits and game over. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I was good for a day, a week. Like, I love my kids well. I, didn't, I got cut off on the road, and I kept both hands on the steering wheel. I didn't even raise a finger, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. So, like, you know, but then things happen, and life happens, and you make bad choices, right? So I'm trying to be a really good person, and then uh, I got tired. So I tend to settle back into my old ways. And then the other one is simply this, and this leads to burnout. You just live your life. Because, after all, you're saved, so you can do whatever you want. Now, that's bad theology, but if we're not careful, we'll slide into that mindset and just kind of go, well, Jesus paid the price for that. I got this endless credit card of grace. I'm just going to swipe it when I screw up, and I'll wait for him to come back. Now, the problem with all three of these is none of these address really what I think is 
one of, one of the most amazing parts of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's this idea of, of spiritual formation. See, the gospel, it, it's not just salvation when you die. See, Jesus came and when he invited his disciples and then when he commanded them to go and make other disciples all throughout the world, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you come follow me. You can be like me. Go teach other people to do all the things that I commanded to. Meaning, you can live your life like Jesus would live your life. And he'll show you how to do that. And I, I don't know about you, but I've screwed up my life a lot and I could use a little help along the way. Anyone? Okay, a couple more hands. We're getting there. Okay, warm it up. Warm it up. But I think that's phenomenal news. Okay, so I get salvation when I die. I, I get eternity with Jesus. Amazing. Now he's actually going to help me here on earth. Amazing. And Jesus is going to walk with us. He's going to talk with us. He's going to show us how to live our lives as if he were living our lives. I think that's really good news. Jesus will show you if we're willing. He'll show us how to really how to work our job as if he would do it. Work for our boss as if he were working for our boss. Love our spouse the way. Do you see where this is going? Do you, do you see how this impacts every aspect of your life? Raise your kids the way that Jesus would raise your kids. He'll, he'll show us how to do this. When tragedy comes, he'll, he'll show you how to lean into the Father and trust him and not lose confidence and not lose hope. This is really good news. This, I think, is what the world needs to hear. And not just hear, this is what I think the world needs to see. Now, here's the deal. Um, it's great to talk about spiritual formation, but really, th- it comes down to two questions. What does that actually look like, and how do we do it? Are you with me? Because it's one thing to come to church, and you hear all these things. You're like, wow, that's amazing. Like, I, spiritual transformation, I should be about that. And then you walk out the doors, and you go about your business. It, it's another thing to actually see it. And then it's another thing. It's even deeper to know how to actually do it. And I don't know about you, but I would like to know how to do it because there are some things in my life that I could use a little bit of help with because I have not quite conquered them yet. I'm not as loving as I could be. I'm not as trustworthy as I could be. I'm not as faithful as I could be. God's not done with me yet. There's still some growth that needs to occur. So the good news is that this isn't new to us. This isn't new 100 years ago. None of this stuff is new. This has been around forever. And people have been asking these questions for a very long time. And the Apostle Paul has written a letter in your New Testament Bible, in my Bible as well. It's in the book of Colossians. And he's going to address this issue. He's going to basically say, in light of who Jesus is and what he has done, this is how we ought to live our lives. He's talking about spiritual transformation. This has been going on for 2,000 years. And we could all use, I think, a little bit more of it because God is not done with us yet. So if you have a Bible, go over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to start right there in verse 1. And remember, if you're reading any of Paul's letters in the Bible, you have to remember that Paul is really going to set up the first chunk of of the letter. He's going to say, this is who Jesus is. This is what he's done. And anytime you read a list of behaviors or things you're supposed to do, it's not because he's trying to make you a good person. It's always in response to what Jesus has done. So God goes first, and then we are to follow. And by the way, like I said earlier, he will show us. He will help us. He will encourage us. He will guide us on how to become these types of of people. So Paul is going to let us in on a little secret. He's going to say, here's what spiritual transformation actually looks like. 
Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 1. It says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the idea is this. Those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are to get rid of our old self, our earthly self, our non-heavenly self, so to speak. What Paul is trying to say is he's going to say, you need to get some heavenly direction to all of your earthly opportunities. Whatever situation you find yourself in on earth, your job is to take a little bit of heaven and interject it into those places. Because why? Because you are hidden in Christ. You are sealed. You are protected. You are you're hidden in Christ. You are in Christ. So we now have this new identity. See, we're not, we're not supposed to be filled with the things of earth. We're supposed to be filled with the things of heaven. This is a huge shift, a big shift. And so he's going to go to this next section, and he's going to talk about the old self. So we'll pick it up in verse, verse 5. And he's very serious. Listen to the language. It's very strong. He says, put to death. It's not a, not a suggestion. It's not a, hey, if you, you know, if you got time, if you feel good and you, you think about it, maybe you might want to try this possibly if it's not too much of a hindrance. He says, no, 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 put to death. As if, as if none of these things are allowed to be here. That's the seriousness of this. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And he's going to list a couple things. He's going to say sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry. Now, why does Paul want us to kill all those things? Is it because he doesn't want us to have fun? It's not. It's not. Because, because sex is designed for, for, to, to strengthen the marriage. It's, the Bible says that the two will become one. That's not, just, that's not a physical thing. It, it's a holistic approach. It's supposed to strengthen the, the marriage. And when you take that powerful thing and you, you take it out of bounds and out of the context it was originated in or it was intended for, people get hurt. Just ask anyone who's had an affair. The damage is brutal. And, and, and you're searching after these things. You have this, this evil desire to get satisfaction he says it, it, it's greedy and it's, it, it's a form of idolatry because you're, you're searching for something. You're so focused on something as if it's going to satisfy you and it doesn't. And Paul says, that's an earthly thing. We don't treat people that way. We don't think that way. That's not our value system. So we have to get rid of those things. They can no longer exist. And here's what he says. He goes on, verse 6. He says, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, why would the wrath of God be coming? Because of all these sinful things. Because God doesn't like it. Do you know why he doesn't like it? It's not because he's grumpy. He didn't get enough sleep. He woke up on the wrong side of the bed. God gets really frustrated when humans do things to hurt other humans that are made in his image. He, he loves us and he loves other people and he hates it when we hurt each other. It's very frustrating. It's very frustrating to him. So verse 7. So he says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now, now you must also rid yourself of all circle, highlight, smiley. Well, maybe not smiley face, but you know, draw attention to that word. All such things as these. He says, anger. Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. 
Again, this is an earthly thing. This isn't heavenly. That, that's not, no, 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 no. You, you don't see God doing this. When you look at Jesus in his life, you don't see Jesus doing this. And we are hidden in him, so we ought not to do these things as well. And just for clarifying, I, I thought this list was really interesting. So I just kind of did a little detective work. The idea of anger here is a constant attitude of hatred. It's consistent. All day, every day. The idea of rage is like a quick burst of anger. So maybe you're not consistent in the hatred, but you just get moments of it. Malice is wanting to hurt someone's slander, smearing someone's name, filthy language. This is anything that's abrasive or shameful. So Paul says, I want you to control your bodies and think of your, in, in your mind. I want you to control that and how you engage with other people, those deep desires. I want you to control those things. In fact, actually, I don't want you to control them. I want you to destroy those things. It's not even an option. Oh, and while we're at it, um, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, all of these, yeah, we're going to have none of that as well. Because we're in Christ. And Christ isn't about these things. And then he goes on, but wait, there's more things for us to kill. Are you ready? There's more. Verse 9, he says, don't lie to each other since you have taken off your old self and its practices. And you've put on a new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. So the idea is we kill this old self, the old stuff, the yucky stuff, the sinful stuff, the thing that God hates because not, not because he's mad, but because it hurts us. It hurts other people. He says, you're going to get rid of those things and you're going to be renewed. You're going to be transformed. You're becoming more and more like you will be a mirror. When people look at you in your life and they see love, they're going to see God. That's what it means to, to interject heaven into our world and the ways that we live our life, the ways that we interact with other people. Now think about it for a moment. Just quick, quick thought. What would happen to our relationships if we did that? No anger. No malice. No rage. Just your immediate family. I mean, honestly, like, think, spend a little time. Think about that for a moment. What's the best that could happen if, that got, if you got rid of that? And what if we didn't get rid of that? What if we just kept it around? What happens to our relationships? Absolutely nothing. They stay the same. We're, we're not getting better. We're not encouraging each other. We're not growing. We're not being spiritually transformed into the image of Jesus if we don't change. There's room for growth. Now, here, here's a verse that I love, and I want to slow down on this verse because I think it's so important to the context and the culture that we live in today. It's verse 11. So remember, Paul's saying, get rid of the old stuff. This old stuff, there's no room for this. And he says, here, in the kingdom of God, in the church family, for all of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, he says, here, there's no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all... And is, what's that word? What's the next word? He is in all. You get the idea that there are no distinctions in the kingdom of God. We're not allowed to be divisive over those things. These are all cultural values. These are, these are ways that we segregate and we separate people and we put, place them in little categories and label people. It's true in the first century. It's, too, it's true in, in our day. Gentile and Jew, that's racial. Circumcised or uncircumcised, that's religious. Barbarian or Scythian, the thought of the day was basically you're Greek or you're a barbarian or a Scythian. That's it. 
So basically, if you're not Greek, you're those. It's a social economic thing, right? And you got slave or free. That pretty much slices up society, doesn't it? (laughs) You have these values, we have those values. You vote this way, I vote this way. You make this money, I make this money. You're this race, I'm this race. It it just, we, we slice it up. And he says, no, 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 no. Christ is all. And he's in all. And you and I, we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We are in Christ. We, we, can't, we can't divide. We can't segregate. We can't separate. because Just because you and I are different, we, we can't, that cannot distinguish our relationship. Our, our differences cannot hinder our relationship because we're not unified in our relationship with one another. We're unified in Christ. This is very crucial to the world that we live in. And meanwhile, we, there's also... Let me say it this way. We are also united in Christ. We are in Christ. That's what binds us together. And we're not allowed to bring any of our earthly junk into that. Why? Because we are alive in Christ, but we've put to death our earthly stuff. Are you with me? The evil desire, you can't bring any of that stuff in there. Idolatry, you can't bring any of that stuff in there. Anger, hatred, there's no room for that. Why? Because we're in Christ. And we need to rally and we need to bond and we need to grow together in that, not for our disdain for something or someone. This is, this is, this is the gospel. This is good news. We are all in Christ. And yes, we're, listen, I know we're different. I get it. But what Paul is saying is when we rely on those differences to either unite us or divide us, we are not operating in the mindset of Christ. Because Christ doesn't look down at, at his loved ones, his babies, his sons and daughters and go, you're here and you're here. And then, oh, well, you were born in this family, so boop, we'll put you over there. What? For God so loved the world, all of his creation, all the diversity of it, the, the people that are made in his image. That's what, that's what unites us. And anytime we operate outside of that, we're not operating in Christ. We're operating in this earthly thing that we're supposed to kill it does not exist can i get an amen somebody all right so here we go he flips it he says there's here's your earthly stuff got to get rid of that he's going to talk about the new stuff the new self if you will verse 12 therefore as god's chosen people holy or, or separated and dearly loved he says clothe yourself so put on clothe yourself with compassion Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. If we are to live with one another, if we are to be unified with one another, if we are going to engage in relationships that point each other to Jesus Christ, he says, that's what you operate in. You, You can't operate in that other stuff. Last time I checked, hatred is not compassion. Are you with me? Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. The, the, our conversations should be full of this language, full of this emotion. We may disagree on something, and that, quite honestly, is minuscule compared to the compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience we should have with one another. This is what it is to be hidden in Christ. This is what it is to live in the kingdom of God, to be the community of Jesus followers. He says this, because by the way, we're going to screw this up. You ever said someone, some, <laughs> you ever said something to offend someone? I do it all the time. I think it's hilarious that I get to do this. 
As if, as if Paul knew, as if God knew, like, we're going to screw this thing up. Like, here's the ideal we should operate in, but we're going to mess it up. So here's what he says, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. <laughs> he says this. If any of you has a grievance against someone, a grievance, if you, um, I, I like to define it this way, a bad thought towards someone. They, someone, they, they irk you. It's like when you see them in the comments, you're like, oh, you're driving around town. You're waiting in line to get some food. You're like, ah, that, that's a grievance. It's like, get, get rid of that. You, you can't do that. Because here's why. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So pop quiz, how much has the Lord forgiven you of? Or how much? All of it. All of it. Everything. This, this is how we... This is how we live. Verse 14 keeps going. He says, And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, or in social media post, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's what spiritual transformation looks like. I don't know about you, but I long for that. I long for that, to be able to look at people, to have a a difference of opinion, to to disagree and have it not impact the relationship or the value that we see in one another at all. I I desire that so much. And, And if I could be honest, I think the world desires that. I think the world wants to see that of the church. And, and listen, I know society's crazy right now. Uh, it seems like, you know, every week there's going to be a new thing and buckle up. We're going on a ride, right? We're going to be on a roller coaster. But I also think the church has a tremendous opportunity to shine so bright, to be so loving, and and to show the world what it means to to trust in Jesus for our life, our livelihood. And and, and I think when people see that, I think they're going to be drawn to that. I, I think it makes all the difference. I, I want to give you three points very quickly, and it'll be very quick. Because this is, this is what spiritual, we, we just talked about what spiritual, spiritual transformation looks like. Wow, that was hard to say. And now we're going to talk about how we actually do that. So three points, very quickly. Spiritual transformation doesn't happen by accident. It requires intentionality. Most people don't wake up in the morning and look like that list that I just read from Paul. Do you know what I mean? If you're like me, you wake up in the morning, you're like, here we go. (laughs) Talk about fruit of the spirit, love, joy. You're like, oh, well, (laughs) wait till the coffee kicks in. We'll give it a shot. We have to have a plan. And what I've come to found in many conversations is most people don't have a plan for their spiritual growth. They just, you show up to church on Sunday, which is a great step. But have you noticed that's not enough? God didn't design the Sunday morning gathering to take care of the whole week. This is a daily thing. 
where we come together, we come before the Lord, we pray, we remind ourselves of who he is. And in light of what he's done, that defines who I am and what I'm supposed to do today. Point number two, spiritual transformation requires participating with different types of people. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not. This is a group effort. This is an all swim, all skate. Jump in the pool, lace up your skates, here we go. Because there's over 30 one another commandments. And you can't love one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another if you're isolated. Because you have no one to love, to forgive, to bear their burdens with. Are, Are you with me? This is very simple. But what do we do? Instead of being vulnerable, instead of taking a risk, instead of stepping out in faith and initiating relationships, we tend to withdraw. And spiritual transformation requires the opposite. And it can't just be with our echo chamber, our holy huddle. Why? Because we're supposed to, we're called to reach people who are far from God. We're going to have a disagreement. And we need to learn, we need to train, we have, have, to, have, have to have a plan so that when we engage in those relationships, they, those people can walk away going, well, they disagree, but I've never felt more respected and loved in my life. That's the call of the Christ follower. That's what Jesus did. And we are in Christ Jesus. That's what we are to do. The last one, number three, is this. Small groups are the best tool for lifelong spiritual transformation. They just are. They're intentional. They're groups of anywhere from eight to 16 people who are different. And it's lifelong transformation. I don't know of a better tool. If you can have these things, if you can go through that list of Colossians and go, I meet regularly with a group of people and they help me kill these earthly things so I can put on this newness. I can clothe myself with all these things. If you can do that outside of small groups, awesome. You can tune me out for the rest. But for those of us like myself who can't, who need the structure, who need the intentionality, you need a group of people that will rally with you on a weekly basis, that will pray with you, that will listen to you say, hey, I screwed up this week because I yelled at my wife. And you need people to go, that's not okay. And you say, well, no, it's fine. I just, I got tired. No, 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 no. That's that's old stuff stuff. That's that earthly junk. Compassion. Kindness, gentleness. You're called to that. Well, you don't understand. I can't stand my boss because blah, 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 blah. He's like, whoa, 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 do, 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 do. Kindness, compassion, humility. This is difficult. But friends, I'm telling you, it is worth every moment of it. This, this is what we're called to. This is how you and I, this is how we become light in a very dark world. And so I'm almost done. I'll give you just one quick thing and, and we'll pray. And we'll sing and we'll get out of here. Some of you, some of you, you need to be in a small group because you've tried a million things and it hasn't worked. Some of you have tried a small group and you're like, I had a bad experience, so never again. What if you did that with food? Like, that's a poor excuse. You can't do that with every, that's not a great reason for every aspect. Now, I I don't want to diminish the fact that you got hurt by people. I understand. I understand. I want to be compassionate and kind about that. But I also know this is good for you. And you need to push through and grow through that experience and not let it just taint the whole community. Some of you, you need to lead because you've been that person who is in a small group and you've benefited from it greatly and you have something to offer other people who need it. So here's what I'm going to ask. I'm going to say, I'm simply going to say this. Um, This Sunday, here's your assignment. I want you to go home and I want you to pray. And the prayer is very specific. It's, should I be a leader Or should I just attend a group? We need both. 
That's your homework assignment. Because, because small groups are the best tool for spiritual transformation. I know of no other way. We can't do this without one another. I've tried. I think many of you have tried. It, it doesn't work. God didn't design it that way. Small groups officially launched on the 12th of September. That gives us a handful of weeks. Organize our schedules, rearrange our priorities, figure out how this whole thing is going to work. But I'm telling you, some of you, God has been laying this on your heart that you need to lead because he's worked miracles in your life and people need hope. And you can give them hope not because you read it in a book somewhere, but because you've lived it. You have experienced the transformation of God on your life. Others of you, you are hurting, you are struggling, you have been beat up this last year. You need people that will surround you, that will be compassionate, that will be kind, gentle, humble, that will lift you up. We need each other. This is the call of the church. This is what we are to do. So your homework assignment this week is to go home and pray. Should I lead a group? Should I attend a group? If you have any questions, I will be outside at the small group booth with Sarah, and we'll, we'll answer anything you have. We will pray with you and help you discern what God would have you do. But this is how spiritual transformation takes place. And our world needs it. So God, we come before you, and as eyes are closed and heads are bowed, Lord, we're, we're praying. We're saying, Lord, what is my next step? Is it to lead a group or is it to join a group? Because I know there's something fundamentally broken with me because I keep going back to that earthly stuff, that old self. And it doesn't work. It hasn't worked. And I need to be spiritually transformed so that I'm living my life the way that Jesus would live my life. And Lord, I pray that as we, as we enter into those relationships, Lord, as we step out in faith and try to lead other people, not because we're perfect, but simply because you've done a great work inside of us. As we enter the, in these relationships, God, I pray that our compassion would grow. Lord, that when disagreements come up, we would be so kind, we would be so considerate, we would be so loving. And we wouldn't let disagreements, Lord, we wouldn't let that rob us of our unity. It wouldn't divide us. Because these relationships, they're, they're not about the things or how we distinguish ourselves from one another. They're, they're about you. It, it's a picture of your love for us, how you desire to relate with us. And Lord, I pray that this week, as we get new leaders, and next week as we open up and people start signing in for small groups, I pray, Lord, that lives will be transformed. And the outside world who is far from you, who wants nothing to do with you, who doesn't understand you, that they would look into the life change that is happening in each and every one of these groups, Lord. And they would be so captivated by that. They would desire that. And lives would begin to change, not just inside the church, but outside as well. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? We're going to close by singing one last song.